passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to our UFC 274 post show. I am John Pollock, joined by Phil Chairtalk on a night that produced perhaps the knockout of the year, one of the best one-round title fights you're going to see, and one of the absolute worst five-round title fights you're ever going to see. Hello, Phil. Hi, John. Great to talk to you. It's been a while. It has been a while uh, since we have done one of these, and what a card we have to dissect tonight. This this ran the gamut, uh, a card that produced 10 decisions, um, one of which was just uh, one of the most head-scratching fights you are ever going to lay your eyes onto, um, which maybe produced the, the best called fight of uh, 2022. I, 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 was, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know, this is what you pay these announcers for, because uh, that was definitely the most entertaining portion of that title match. Yeah, if, if you ever want to see like Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, and to a lesser extent, John Anik, just completely let loose uh, this five-round contest between Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza, those are the 25 minutes you want to take out. I, I would never in a million years recommend going and watching this fight. Um, maybe if they put out the audio version of the commentary, that would be worth listening to. But th- there's nobody on earth that needs to go back and revisit this fight other than for historical purposes that if someone wants to go back and see actual evidence that this fight existed, which maybe this doesn't even make it onto Fight Pass. That is how bad this fight was. It it was pretty, pretty bad. I mean, even when they read out the total uh, strike stats at the end, I was like, I was pretty sure that they were inflated because I, I don't think I, I counted more than a handful for either of these ladies landing. Yeah, the, the stats on the broadcast are always kind of un- unofficial. And I, I mean, God, you had Daniel Cormier talking about at the end of that first round that it was what, like three for 17 and three for 22. That is what you had to work with after round one. And that was just a sign of things to come in, in that fight. We will get there uh, to, to that. Maybe maybe that is what, uh, for, for the purposes of reviewing the show, is what everyone is uh, most looking forward to. But we have to go back because there was a lot uh, in terms of the fight week uh, going into this, mainly coming down on Friday, Phil. And that was Charles Oliveira missing weight for his scheduled lightweight title defense against Justin Gaethje. He came in and was the last fighter to weigh in on Friday during the early weigh-ins. And initially, when he stepped onto the scale, he was 156 pounds. He had to disrobe, and that got half a pound off and remained 155 and a half pounds. He was given a, an hour to lose that half pound and was unsuccessful in doing so. 
he had come out and there has been some complaints about the scale and how it was calibrated. Uh, there was one other fighter in Norma Dumont that missed weight as well, but everybody else did make weight. So I don't know if that is something that will be looked into further. Uh, but what was uh, some of your takeaways about everything involving this scale and Charles Oliveira ultimately vacating the UFC lightweight championship, which remains vacant coming out of tonight's main event? Well, I mean, certainly it added some drama to uh, the weigh-in proceedings, which were sort of an afterthought and have been an afterthought for myself for the last uh, few years. Uh, it interrupted a thrilling Bellator card uh, that was in the middle of the day to give us some more MMA news and excitement. Um, this was not a very courteous uh, <laughs> no. or something. I was literally on my way out the door uh, to go to a wedding and oh. I'm just I'm just like literally finishing my last story and it's going to be, oh, it's just like like the weigh in results. You know what I mean? Yes, and yes. then like an hour before we find out that he misses by half a pound. So I'm literally waiting on my computer before I have to go out and he doesn't make weight. Uh, so it becomes like your headline story instead of just, well, he uh, he he loses the half pound. I mean, the fact, Phil, number one, uh, the many questions I had was. This weight scale problem, to mm. me, that's what your team is addressing immediately. Like, the UFC is monitoring your weight throughout the week. If there was some giant inconsistency, you would think that's being addressed in that hour rather than someone going to try and cut weight that he believes he has already lost. And second, the fact he could not lose that extra half pound tells me this guy was already at his limit. He was the last guy on the scale. So I, I don't know what the full story of this is. But, I mean, th this was somebody that literally had no weight to give by this point when he got onto the scale the first time. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, you know, strange things about it. Uh, the the complaints around the scale. Uh, Norma Dumont, who you mentioned missed weight as well, she had complaints about the scale. People said that there was adjustments uh, when they were recalibrated. You know, maybe, but, like... Everybody else made weight. All the other title contenders made weight. Yeah, that's that's the main one. We had we had, you know, three other fighters making the championship weight. Now, I will say this that the biggest question I have is how this would affect Charles Oliveira's uh right to the pay-per-view points if mm -hmm. it affected him on this card and we believe he will be fighting for the lightweight title in his next fight. If the answer is there is no impact, his points are not affected by this, I don't think this really matters in the grand scheme of things. It interrupts his title reign, but mm -hmm. there's no real financial penalty. Uh, th there are financial um, hits that he takes. He would not, in theory, be eligible for a performance of the night bonus by missing weight. So already you, you're, uh, you're missing out on that, and he had a pretty spectacular performance. But if it does affect your pay-per-view points... Um, I, on on another scale of anger, I would be at a twenty. Mm -hmm. I think uh, so. You know, yes. Yeah, so from the, I would. I mean, I'm wildly speculating here. Let that be known. I would speculate away. I would suspect that the points on this pay per view would not be different because I doubt that the technically he was not stripped of the title until the fight began. So it, it would all come down to how that language. Yeah. Is stipulated in the contract and it could yes. be i mean yes. it would be a real hit if that somehow impacted his points because you are still selling this pay-per-view off of him and justin gaethje's name in that main event i would think that would be a really um 
uh, terrible tactic if that was uh, somehow affected him for this fight. But then it also brings up the question for the next fight where mm-hmm. you're not technically the champion, but you would be potentially headlining that pay-per-view, which non-champions do at times in s- circumstances uh, are cut into those points. Yeah. Uh, so regarding this one, I would suspect that it that it wouldn't affect his points for this one because I doubt that the actual bout agreement, which is what would give him pay-per-view points, would have some clause that says if you don't, if you're no longer champion at the time of the, the, it, it, it's too wild to imagine. But in the scenario of the next fight, I do think it could play a factor if the UFC chooses. It, it's up to the UFC to choose how much they want to squeeze out of him. Maybe they want to be nice and, you know, give him the exact same contract, which yeah, I think they probably should do. Cause another aspect also of this weight cut thing was we've seen this before we've seen people in vegas who make that scale and keith kaiser he yells out that number real fast and flings that weight right back down uh the scale line and you'll never see that number and on friday that commission person was being very very diligent far more diligent than uh, we've seen others so uh you know i i think there's a little bit of leniency that i can give uh charles Oliveira, even though uh I it is a weight miss regardless of what the scale uh situation was. Right. And I mean this is somebody that famously missed weight four times but that was at featherweight. He has never missed weight at lightweight. So and I would say just to kind of put a bow on that is that with the UFC like there is also the incentive that you you probably want this guy to come back and fight rather quickly. Let's not upset this fighter either that, I, I mean, you are in business with this person. That's too. right. Not to yes. Say, not to say Charles Oliveira is your be-all, end-all, but nonetheless, they're going to want to put that lightweight championship fight together um, before the end of this year. And let, let's make that as easy of a transition as possible. Um, but that, is, that was kind of all the, uh, the drama attached to the main event. And then the day of today, uh, they lost Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon after Donald Cerrone uh, came down with food poisoning. So this, this was not related to, uh, to weight cutting. Uh, but yeah, he just got food poisoning. And they made mention of this on the, uh, on the earlier prelims. Um, but they, they certainly were not like standing up and announcing this in a big way. And then the pay-per-view starts and they just note, uh, no Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon, by, by the way. I mean, they, they did mention it, but I don't think they were going out of their way to, uh, broadcast the fact that, uh, probably one of the more anticipated fights is not happening. Yeah, certainly one with, uh, the more, uh, prominent names, uh, you know, in UFC history. So. That will be rebooked in theory for a, another card coming up. But uh, unfortunate when you you make the weight and you're ready to fight. And now they've got to find a new card for this for, for this fight. And one of the big things was these two wanted to fight in front of fans. They did not want to do this at the apex because this was going to mm-hmm. be taking place last weekend. And they were successful in getting it moved uh, to tonight's fight. So Chaos Williams and Randy Brown was moved up uh, to the pay-per-view main show but we're going to start things off uh with the main event going back to charles Oliveira and justin gaethje and they had they had quite the act to follow uh in the uh the, the five round strawweight <laughs> championship fight uh in this crowd what, what a crowd tonight phil did you love this crowd or did you hate this crowd because i i saw a lot of hatred for this crowd throughout the uh throughout the night um in their defense, they got some pretty bad fights at different times. Uh, in others, I thought it was completely unwarranted, some of the booing. But they, by the end of this strawweight fight, I think they got um, 
they, they got everything out and then they got they got a pretty great main event at the end of the night uh yeah i i didn't hate him or love him i i it kind of all these ufc crowds seem to blend together it's only like the really outstanding ones when they go to uh like the last one in england or uh when they go to some like leaner markets that are uh you know, are really notable. But uh, yeah, they were definitely a little bit annoying with some of the booze. But then at times, they were definitely warranted. And, uh, you know, they entertained themselves in other ways as well throughout the evening. So the main event sees, I mean, just immediate action out of the gate where Justin Gaethje clearly has a game plan of chopping down Charles Oliveira's legs, but in the process gets caught with a series of right hands as Oliveira is putting him against the fence. And Gaethje knocks down Oliveira. There's a left hook to Oliveira, and all of a sudden he's cut and comes back with a flying knee. And then he pulls guard on Justin Gaethje, and he clearly wanted to be taking this fight uh, to his back. And Justin Gaethje wanted no part of this, just escaping his guard and standing up with him. And Gaethje is, I mean, Phil, this guy was just putting everything into these strikes to the point he just goes for this bomb that he throws at Charles, missing. Dude dude falls down. He loses his balance from the power that he is trying to load up on on this guy. I just, it was like an unbelievable amount that he was just trying to end this. And Oliveira drops Gaethje, goes to the back, and then he's fishing for his arm. He's going for an inverted triangle, and boom, goes to his back, and he submits Justin Gaethje, who taps out and then goes out at three minutes and 22 seconds of the first round. This was just nonstop for three minutes and 22 seconds. I thought this was one of the better one round fights you're you're going to see sub one round fight. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Back and forth action on the feet, on the ground. Both men went down at points. Uh, The action started right away. Uh, You mentioned the Gaethje leg kick and then he eats that right hand and what it, it seemed like once he ate uh it was like two right hands that mm-hmm. he took it was that was when he was just committed to every shot and uh it, the firefight uh began from then on and you know that second knockdown that he had on charles Oliveira, that one looked really serious because it, it was a delayed reaction from Oliveira. he sort of got wobbly you were you were wondering like you know where's his head at but Typical Charles Oliveira recovers, comes back, and puts it on him. I can't imagine. Like, I, I am not someone that, that that bets on fights. I cannot imagine putting money down on Charles Oliveira. Like, you have to, go, <laughs> like, have heart palpitations watching this guy fight. Like, he is just, he gets damaged severely in these fights that we have just, over the past year, with Chandler, that first round, with Dustin Poirier in the first round, and this one, like, Justin Gaethje is knocking him down. It's like, this guy is, like, the polar opposite of someone that is just being conservative Mm -hmm. or, like, none. It's just throw caution to the wind, and one of us will still be standing at the end. And it's a pretty dangerous way to fight, but it's also a super exciting way to fight if you're a spectator yeah i mean it a lot it's absolute belief in his skills because he goes into these positions takes bad shots but keeps committed to the game plan he saw that with his muay thai he that's where he he ate those shots was in close but he kept that tight uh, muay thai clinch kept with uh very solid knees to the body and you know it's the whole arsenal of his that makes him so dangerous because 
he's able to attack you at any point. And he will attack you at any point because he's constantly coming forward and constantly coming to take you out. Yeah, there definitely needs to be a distinction at the end of the year because I feel fight of the year always is favored towards, you know, three or five round like wars. There needs to be something that uh, puts a spotlight on fights like this that I don't think this is going to be fight of the year, but this was three minutes and 22 seconds of nonstop action. Round of the year, maybe it'll it could it'll, be. Yeah, it feels uh this would certainly be a contender. So coming out of this, uh, we have Charles Oliveira that looks to be one half of the equation fighting for this vacant lightweight championship. So my question to you, Phil, was tonight a good night or a bad night for Islam Makachev? I think it's a bad night. I mean, I don't even know if it's any different because I don't think it changes his spot in the ranking because he's still got to fight Benil Dariush before he gets his title shot anyway or at least that seems like what the UFC's plan is. The only bad thing would be is if it elicited the interest of Conor McGregor, and then that's the next fight, and then the division you, is sort of put on hold. Do you think uh, Conor McGregor fighting at lightweight is still... That that could still happen. He, his days at lightweight are not closed. That door is not closed. Uh, Maybe I think potentially it's the uh, you know it's hard to tell like what his weight is at I you know he'll he'll go for the biggest fight possible I don't think though that the Charles Oliveira fight is is that fight but maybe the allure of the title maybe that's most important to him still um but uh, I, I see that I I see that fight as not a I would not give like high a high percentage to that fight but i would not dismiss it i think if conor mcgregor believed he could make lightweight i think this guy would leapfrog a lot of people um going into this i i think from just a you know catalog of wins i would say islam makachev is the most deserving contender uh but given michael chandler's win that we will discuss tonight and conor mcgregor mm -hmm. lurking in the shadows either one of those uh leapfrogging makachev i have to say is a is a possibility. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. You mentioned a Chandler who will get to uh, incredible performance. That's one that could be, or maybe Islam versus Chandler is, is, is a potential fight. Although that doesn't seem like the type of direction that the UFC would want to go with the style of fight that, you know, Chandler puts on uh, Chandler himself called out McGregor for even 170. If, and if the UFC isn't going to do Diaz, they're not going to do Poirier versus McGregor. Maybe Chandler versus McGregor is the most, uh, you know, exciting fight, right? Because the goal is to just, for the UFC, it's to make the most money possible. If you think Connor can win the belt, sure. But I, I, I would say don't... Connor McGregor then against this Charles Oliveira, um, I, I don't think that's a very good night for, for Connor McGregor. But that's a huge fight. That's a, ma a massive, massive fight. Absolutely. When, when whatever Connor chooses to do when he comes back, that will be a uh, massive fight, whether we like it or not. All right, let's sit back. Let's uh, take a deep breath because we're now going to go into. Let's Rose sit Nami back Yunus. and win a strawweight title. <laughs> Rose Nami Yunus and Carla Sparza, a rematch seven and a half years in the making, uh, which uh, coincidentally is also how long this fight felt. <laughs> uh, that first fight uh, saw Carla Esparza look uh, very dominant, winning that season of the Ultimate Fighter and thus becoming the first 115-pound women's champion. All these years later, she is going for her second championship. And 
This fight begins, and they're sort of just feeling one another out. And then you're starting to watch. It's like they are not connecting with anything. And the announcers are quick to bring this up. And it's just a very slow affair where there is nothing. And at the end of one round, we have three significant strikes recognized by each participant. And the judges are left with this to make a decision. Now, based on the judging criteria, like effective striking can come down to you land one strike and I land one strike, Phil, and you have to decipher that is that is the role of the judge. And this is this would probably be on the short list of rounds that you could make an honest defense of being 10, 10, uh, no judge scored at 10, 10 and judges are quite honestly, they are discouraged from 10, 10s. And this was clear evidence to me, Phil, uh, you are never going to see a 10, 10. Uh, I mean, I didn't score at 10, 10. So, uh, I, I did not I, either because <laughs> I know what the criteria calls for and that you have to make a call, even if it's yes. one shot landing. So I did give the first round to you know what? We shouldn't even give each other <laughs> scores till the end, okay? Let's, okay. Wait, let's wait till the end because okay. literally you could go any which way. There is no wrong score in this fight. Uh, <laughs> this, the broadcast is just, they're like, what's going on here? And they bring in Dean Thomas. For some <laughs> like, what? Who, who do you think won that round? He's like, oh, no one won that round. Everyone in this building lost the first round. And a great line from Dean Thomas. The crowd starts the wave in the second round. There was a kick by Asparza and a front kick at the end. Then we go to the third round. Asparza gets a takedown. Rosnami Yunus pops up. I was trying to be generous here with my notes of what was going on. And this was pretty much what we're at into the fourth round. We go Asparza shoots low for the leg briefly gets her down. I will say this Asparza. I am not going to say Asparza was without fault in this fight, but it was clear that she was at least trying to initiate uh, a a wrestling game plan, although not an effective one. And I, I would say she showed more aggression, especially in the, in those middle rounds, but we are really just parsing at, activity in the in this round rose nami Yunus to me i was just like literally after three rounds you very well could have had a case where you have lost this title now on paper and you have to finish this fight she is not getting any of that in her corner in fact during one of the rounds pat barry is telling her listen to those boos you hear that reaction you're doing it right i just thought this was like such a failure on so many levels that like you are in the midst of losing your title and not because you are being beaten by a superior opponent, a superior game plan. It's because you are not initiating anything. You are giving these judges a blank page to assign any score that you cannot argue. It was very frustrating just to watch and see this title fight, this title essentially like you're just throwing it up in the air and it's going to land on one of you. You've done mm-hmm. nothing to make a case for either one of them themselves, to be honest. Uh, yeah, and also Trevor Whitman for, uh, didn't have the best advice either, and he's somebody who's typically a very good in the corner. Uh, it seemed like you know they had this game plan of measuring the distance and then slowly increasing the output, but there that never happened. There was no increase in output, and Trevor Whitman. You know, he never, he kept saying, oh, you know, you know, now show, now do this a little more, but there was no intensity. 
there was no uh, emphasis on, you know, being more aggressive and taking uh, those later rounds. Uh, so uh, Asparza is shooting in the fourth round. Rose connects with a right hand and then gets taken down by Asparza, but Rose escapes. I will say this, on the few times she was taken down, Nami Yunus had no problem getting up, like a complete 180 from the first fight where it was Asparza constantly taking her down and then raining down with ground strikes, and that was the the difference, and essentially breaking Nami Yunus after two rounds and then finishing her in the third. And then the fifth round, uh, Asparza lands with a left hand, Rose just faints and faints and faints, and she gets a takedown at the end of the round. So after five rounds, I scored this 48-47 for Carla Esparza. I gave Nami Units rounds one and five and Esparza the middle rounds, and that was enough to uh, win the championship on my scorecard. Phil, uh, you could go 50-45 either way. You could go 48-47s. You could go 48s. What, wherever your scorecard lands, you're not going to get uh, an argument from me. So... What did you have? So I had Rose winning this. Uh, I actually had almost the exact same scorecard as you. I gave Rose the first and the fifth. And then I also gave her the third. Oh, my God. The third. <laughs> the third? That was insane. That was a clear cut round. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to retire from this seat. Eric can take my place. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you gave the third. I mean... <laughs> to me, this is just a fight that I, I cannot imagine being Rose Nami Yunus and her camp sitting down and, and watching this. I just think that this was... I can't imagine anybody watching this. Well, that's what they said. Daniel Cormier, at the end of this, is said, they're going to have to do a third fight. They're going to have to do a rubber match. I was like, are you... Joe Rogan's like, are you kidding? You are never going to see this fight again. Um, John Anik had the... Was he the one with the line? Uh, you sell that to Dana, Daniel. Oh, yeah, that's right. You you, you convinced Dana of that one. I mean, that this is going to be an... We will see how polite Dana White is at the, uh, at the press conference afterwards. I mean, this... Like, literally, Rogan... First of all, for, for a lot of the... Uh, complaints that Rogan gets his recall of certain fights like Daniel Cormier is trying to remember the fight Anderson Silva had uh, with, with Damian Maya and then Rogan is like going back and he's like going through sequences from that fight that mm -hmm. that happened in 2010 like we're talking 12 years ago this guy's just recalling it and then it's just a game of like comparing it like what fights were worse than this and I don't <laughs> think they came up with one they mentioned like Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou um, no I, I mention that, I, of Caleb Starnes versus uh, Nate Quarry, but that's a way back one. Yeah, I, I, I think that fight was better than this, uh, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, there were comparisons. Uh, Jens Pulver and Dennis Hallman, uh, when they had their, their five-round fight, that was a pretty uneventful fight. Um, but for this one, and, and especially probably the numbers watching this fight, I, I think th this will go down as like an all-time legendarily bad, bad fight. Probably the worst of the year, unless we are in for something god awful. Um, we will yeah, see. Yeah, and it puts Rose in such a tough spot because they're not going to book this. They rematch. will never. They will not book this. She will not get a rematch as long as Carlos Sparza is champion. One hundred percent. I cannot yeah. fathom them trying to sell this fight again. Yeah. So it, it uh, very. Joe Joe was pretty good too in the post fight uh, interview with Carla because he was like he was trying to be polite. He was but, trying, <laughs> but, but then yeah. he just got going. He's like, it was just so interesting <laughs> that she wasn't trying a lot, and we started talking in the booth that nothing's happening. When these two women go back and listen to this, like, dude, they had no filter. Like, they were just dogging this fight. Like, Joe's mm -hmm. calling it the dud of all duds. And you know what? I 
like sometimes fighters can be extremely sensitive when it comes to criticism, but me as the viewer, I want to hear what their honest thoughts is. And you were not going to hear that level of criticism on too many major league sports broadcasts. Um, I appreciate that, that candor, if that's how they honestly feel about a fight. That's yeah, absolutely. That's sort of like the double-edged sword of a lot of the UFC, right? It's like they wouldn't have a stand-up comedian beyond broadcast in other sports. They, you know, they wouldn't have a commissioner or head of an organization say that, you know, they thought a fight sucked or a match sucked. Um, but that also has, you know, negatives that we experience, uh, frequently as well. Uh, but tonight I thought, uh, I agree with you. I thought Joe did actually a really good job, particularly for this fight. Um, and, and even some of the other stuff on the main card. So then we go to the lightweight contest between Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. Very important fight for Tony Ferguson, who is 0-3 since May of 2020, coming off losses to Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, and then Benil Dariush a year ago, and was all over the headlines this week for a lot of his comments about his treatment in the UFC, speaking about the need for health insurance among fighters, stating a lot of things that very few fighters talk about publicly, but especially not on a like UFC media day, for instance, like doing it in that type of setting. I, I don't know how many would be uh, vocalizing those thoughts outside of say, like, um, you know, it's one thing to say it on the MMA hour. It's another to do it like on the, a UFC branded event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, as we talked about in the preview show, it, it, it seems like he's reached a point where it doesn't even seem like he wants to, fight work with the organization i mean i'm sure he wants to still be one of the top fighters in the world and fight the best of the best but you know he has nothing nice to say about his working relationship with the ufc and so uh you know he wasn't afraid to to share it and the fact that you know he's been on a losing streak there's a lot of things going into this that could have made this his last fight in the ufc just going back for for a minute, this might happen a few times tonight uh, to the the strawweight title fight. This is from uh, Sean Al Shadi at MMAfighting.com. Uh, Dana White is asked at the press conference how he scored a Sparza versus Nami Yunus too. His quote: "I don't even know, man. I started zoning out like halfway through it." <laughs> Dana didn't even make he it to st- the end. He started watching Canelo Bivol. <laughs> he probably was. Yes. Yes. I, did you have two screens going? No, I, 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 no, I was making notes because it was right during this fight. So I'm going to have to go back and see what happened. Uh, uh, for, from Aaron Bronstetter, Dana White says that Charles Oliveira still received his pay-per-view points for tonight, is unsure about what happens for his next fight. So that's, you know, 50% at least very good for Charles Oliveira that his points were not affected tonight. And I guess we'll see how that's structured for the next fight. Um, as well for him. If he doesn't lose any points, then I think like this is it, if, it, this if, really is not a, the disaster it's it's painted if as. If he doesn't given- lose any points, this is a win because the what's that line? There is a champion. His name is Charles Oliveira. That's a great gimmick, man. You know whatever it is. I mean, I'm sure we could put it on a T-shirt. The champion has a name. It's Charles Oliveira. That's a that's a great line. I love it. Well, uh, we had a great fight here with Chandler and Tony Ferguson. So early on, uh, Tony Ferguson is looking the best he has 
in years uh, as he connects early, drops Chandler, who's uh, backing up against the cage. The whole crowd is chanting Tony, and Chandler responds with a huge double-leg takedown. Ferguson is defending very well off his back, throwing a lot of elbows, uh, but then Chandler eventually just stops, starts dropping huge strikes on top and ends the round in pretty emphatic fashion. I still gave the round to Ferguson, but Chandler made it very close by the end with what he was doing on top. I saw this as like a toss-up round. Yeah, I, I gave it to Chandler. Uh, I was a little on the fence about it because clearly Tony had done some really good damage in the first half of the round and even off of his back. But then, you know, the the strikes Chandler there was, was landing. There elbows yeah. that he was landing at the end. So and he was it, cut it, it, up. He got cut up too. Uh, but then you know what? It really didn't matter because the second round begins and Michael Chandler channeling the great sensei, Steven Seagal, <laughs> delivered this front kick that crushed Tony Ferguson. I, I am not somebody that when I'm watching something makes any kind of sound. There was an audible gasp as I watched this and saw Tony Ferguson just face plant down from this front kick and he was out for a little bit they were not showing him and you're hearing joe rogan he's still out he's still out and then he finally comes to this was one of the nastiest vicious looking knockouts i said that last year when Corey sanhagen just drilled frankie edgar with that knee this was at another level this was one of those that is going to be on every highlight reel i would say for for spectacular looking knockouts I think this this is right up there with like of recent memory of Masvidal Ben Askren. Um, th- this mm. was just mm. I cannot imagine another mm. knockout surpassing this this year. Seventeen seconds of round two. Michael Chandler is your your winner. Just a frightening knockout. Frightening. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was very frightening because uh, you know he. This you, was a little scary to watch because as you can was, hear that he's, yeah, he yeah. was out for a long time. Like you really don't like celebrate these things, but man, yes. Was, well, unless you're Michael Chandler, who did five backflips in a row afterwards over uh, you know Tony's lifeless body, like tending to this guy in the octagon. This guy's doing a gymnastics routine. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. You know, my first impression was this was like the greatest knockout I've ever seen. Uh, you know, trying to go back in time to the other front kick knockouts. You had the Anderson one, which was the first we'd seen, and it was a great one, but it didn't like shut the lights off like this one. And then no. you had there, there then, was the Lyoto one with Randy Couture, but yes, to me, nothing, yeah, those two, like the Andersons and uh, Vitor one, was a very famous knockout. Uh, this one takes the cake for me. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a lot of recency bias, but this, like, this was an all timer. That's the, the only way you can describe this. It was just stunning to watch in real time. The only other one I sort of have right next to it is Atim Barbosa, which you know right. that one's going to be there forever, right? So, it's, but it's it's right there. Yeah. Hey, you uh, you predicted that somebody might uh, have their head knocked off on the preview show. That's right. Well, Michael Chandler was interviewed afterward, and he had been favoring his eye after the first round, and he said he got double vision, and not to tell the commission, which I guess was his official disclosure, and then he <laughs> cut a very spirited message that he was going to challenge for the lightweight title, and Dana White and Hunter Campbell, if that doesn't work, then I want Conor McGregor at 170 pounds. Uh, this 
I, I think Michael Chandler, you could not have put a performance forward that um, th- this was the most valuable. This is the most valuable two and two fighter that they have in this in this promotion. I mean, it's just been four incredible performances from Michael Chandler. And this is the kind of performance where something like this, you leapfrog people. Uh, like if you have an Islam, the commercial for this after Oliveira and Chandler come out of this very easy rematch to sell. Uh, I think Chandler, he, he will be in a major fight um, in, in his next outing. Like this is, it was, this was an all time knockout performance. And that, that is going to have a ton of currency with, with your audience. Yeah. And it was a great promo afterwards. Well delivered. Um, super exciting fighter. All the fights he's been in have, have just been incredible. It's kind of wild to imagine, you know, this run he's had, like when he re-signed with Bellator, when Scott Coker had come over, um, you know, I wondered if he was ever going to make it to the UFC and if it if it would be too late for him, if he ever did. But, you know, he's come over and no, he hasn't, you know, won the title, but he's He's such an exciting fighter. I mean, tonight you heard it. Tony was the clear fan favorite. The fight ends, you know, dramatic fight. And, you know, he's getting a ton of cheers, as he rightfully should. Uh, So uh, I definitely think that the next fight that he's going to be in will be a huge one. Main event, um, whether it's Conor McGregor or Charles Oliveira or Dustin Poirier, it's going to be a very uh, exciting fight, I think. Uh, so apparently uh, Dana said that, uh, first of all, he said tonight was not make or break for Tony Ferguson, says that he looked damn good in the first round, but feels Tony needs to take time off after that knockout and that he feels Chandler and McGregor would be a fun fight, but the Connors hurt and not ready to come back. So they won't explore potential opponents for him until he is ready. That coming from Aaron Bronstetter. So yeah, with Michael Chandler, it's it'll be interesting wherever he goes. I do believe this guy will fight for a championship again in the UFC. He's 36 and you know, this week so much was on Tony Ferguson and how important this fight was. If you look at Michael Chandler, like a loss here to Tony Ferguson, this was a fight that this was not like fighting Justin Gaethje or Charles Oliveira or even Dan Hooker where I mean, these are all the top the top rung of lightweights. You lose to Tony Ferguson, I think that eliminates any kind of title aspirations for Michael Chandler at that point. This was a fight I think he needed to win to stay in that deep end of the, of the lightweight pool. And he did it in such spectacular fashion that him fighting Charles Oliveira next for the title is not out of the realm of possibility. And going into this card, I would have said that fight coming out of this show, probably not going to be happening. Yeah, especially if it's a quick turnaround, uh, because, hey, if uh, Connor's not going to be available, you can do that fight in the summer and then still get another uh, lightweight title fight before the year's up. Mauricio Shogun Hua and Ovin St. Peru. The rematch uh, that took place a month before Rose Namajunas and Carlos Barza, um, producing relatively similar results for their own respective rematch. The first fight saw Ovin Ovin St. Peru win by knockout in 34 seconds. This was the opposite. Uh, (laughs) The first round saw OSP with a lot of front kicks to the chest of uh, Shogun, which was all red after this round. Second round crowd is not into this at all. Shogun's just circling around. He lands the right hand on, on OSP and then delivering some leg kicks. And then in the third, (laughs) The fans start putting their phones up with the flashlights on. Joe Rogan, what are they doing? What's happening here? 
And he's having this explained to him. They're putting their phones on. And Joe Rogan is just amazed that this crowd in unison is all actively doing this together. And that was the most exciting part of the third round. Shogun is tiring out. He gets cut around his eye. And St. Bruce just using jabs, throwing some body kicks. And then Shogun just like circles away at the end of this, like not really engaging at the end of this. This was a really poor fight. And at the end of it, I had Oban St. Peru winning 29-28, and he got the split decision victory. There was a 30-27 and two, well, two 29-28s in uh, opposite directions for this one. So your winner is Oban St. Peru. Um, 2-0, and so they don't have to do the rubber match, I guess. Why not? Who cares? Let's do it anyway. Run it back over and over and over and over again. You know, the, the fight we need. Hey, one more fight for Shogun, right? That's what he says. He wants one more. He wants to do one more fight. This was not such a um, performance where I think you look at it and he won't get that next fight. I think he mm. will get one more fight. And I think that that's probably it for, for Shogun. I mean, the, the wars that this guy has been through, he is 40 now. They they were going through it. Like, there was so little to talk about in this fight. They just ended up going through his resume. And it's it's stunning, the fact that this guy... His pro debut was two weeks before the first Tito Ken Shamrock fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, legendary fighter. Uh, you know, it's always tough to see them. You know, at, at a stage in their career, but you know, he didn't get completely dusted here. Uh, so you know, it's still impressive at forty years of age that he's able to compete at a high level of MMA, even if he's not able to get the win. How how low do you go for an opponent for Shogun in the next fight? Like. You know, Oven St. Peru, like it's pretty much, you know. I mean, I, going- I you're looking for the biggest name value, right? Or, or you want to put somebody over, but I mean, it's it's such a weak division that, um, you know, maybe there's somebody who can come up from 185. You know, you do something like that. Um, I don't know, Chris Weidman. Oh boy, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, it's it's the one thing where I think a lot of like Shogun fans will want to see him do this retirement fight. It's just like you put him against like some rising star. I don't think that's going to be a really happy ending for no. Shogun fans out there. I mean, this is kind of like the sad end for a lot of careers. It's like not seeing them in their best light. Often it's in their worst worst light. I mean, that's the fight game, you know, he, you know, sometimes the UFC tries to like push people into a certain direction because they can see the writing on the wall. And it's like, let's just, you know, let's try to retire. But even then, you know, people show up a few months later in bare knuckle FC or some other promotion because look, the money's out there. They're fighters. This is what they, this is what they do. The opener of the pay-per-view was Randy Brown and Chaos Williams fighting at 170 pounds. Uh, Brown is coming off wins over Alex Oliveira by submission and Jared, Jared Gooden uh, last October. Uh, Williams, he had a TKO win over Miguel Baeza in November and a unanimous decision win over Matthew Semmelsberger last June. So both men coming in here with uh, some recent wins. Uh, Williams, I thought, won the first round. Uh, he he caught him. Brown goes down, and then he looked to be setting up for a Darce, but Williams uh, was not able to get it. Uh, Brown worked for a guillotine at the end. In the second round, uh, Brown got it together. He was finding his rhythm, especially with his jab, and pretty much just landed. The, the announcers were making this out to be like this 
this runaway round for Randy Brown. I thought it was a lot closer, but still a round for, for Brown. So I had it even going into the third round, and I saw Randy Brown winning uh, the third. Brown uh, at one point threw and missed, landing against the cage, but then landed some knees from the clinch and uh, overall just had the, the, the better strikes in round three and two for that matter. So I had a 29-28 for Randy Brown. Yeah, I had it the same way. I thought he looked very good in this fight, despite some, you know, unusual, undisciplined mistakes. I even thought he looked good in the first round. He just sort of took a big shot that sent him down, and then he got caught in some uh, uncomfortable grappling. But uh, at range, he seemed to control the distance very well. He looked extremely fluid. Um, it just it just uh, needs a little bit more polish on the performance. And... uh with that, you know, he could look, he was looking really good at points in this fight. I, I think if he continues to refine that, that jab, I think that could be a huge weapon for him. This guy's six foot three and, you know, he, he has won now five of his last six. The only loss in there is to Vicente Luque, which is a pretty, pretty solid loss to have on your resume. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think he hasn't really put it all together yet, but certainly is showing those strides. Uh, we will see. Uh, I, I think you have to be very strategic with his next fight because that welterweight division, I don't see him as being part of the upper class yet, but has the potential uh, to be there. On to the prelims. Uh, Francisco Trinaldo versus Danny Roberts. Trinaldo is 43 years old, the second oldest member of the UFC roster behind Alexei Olenek. And uh, this was a... This was a pretty entertaining fight, I thought, altogether. Trinaldo, uh, the first round, uh, Roberts did very well, uh, finding his rhythm with these big leg kicks and landing to the body. Uh, but Trinaldo was landing with his right hand and made it close by the end. In the second, though, Trinaldo stuns him. And this was a case of multiple times where he stunned Roberts, uh, but then just went to, to like clinch with him and didn't really follow up enough, even though it, it appeared that uh, Roberts was was getting hurt here. Uh, Trinaldo cracked him with a left hand and an uppercut and a body shot. This was becoming a very dominant round for Trinaldo. And it was just in the final 20 seconds that Roberts got up uh, from half guard and just swung wildly with him. Into the third we go and Trinaldo stuns him again, clinches him. And then lands over the top, follows with some jabs, and then it ended with uh, Roberts uh, walking into this brutal uppercut. Uh, so Francisco Trinaldo uh, winning this on scores of 30-26, 30-27, and 29-28. I went 29-28. Uh, I didn't give the second a 10-8, uh, though it was close. Yeah, I, I had it the same way as you. Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't. I, I just didn't see the the 10 8 maybe I, I don't know i was a stickler for it today but trinaldo 43 years old i mean we compare that to shogun you know he you look at his losses like he's he's only lost to some really really good fighters wins over paul felder jim miller bobby green john mcdessey like he, he's one of these guys and that was a lightweight like this dude yeah. is like pretty compact. It's amazing this guy was getting down to 155 at the frequency he was. Like this was his 25th fight in the UFC. You don't like associate him as being like as long tenured as he's been, but that's that's an incredible amount. And the fact he is fighting at this level, you know, Danny Roberts, quality guy at Absolutely. 170 pounds. And yeah, you look at at him, and you know he's got two wins in a row now. Yeah, two wins in a row, and it's, you know, five of the last six. Um, you know, he's not a type of fighter that, you know, 
the fans are, are clamoring for typically. This was a pretty exciting performance, though. Uh, one of his better ones. Um, so maybe he gets a more prominent spot, uh, going forward. Cause, you know, he's 43. So there's, they can't all be, he's got to pace himself to 50. (laughs) Yeah. They can't all be like Glover. So this card was very much a roller coaster effect. There were some ups. There were definitely some downs. And uh, the next one was a down. This was a Macy Chason and Norma Dumont who missed weight at 146 and a half pounds. And we start this. This is where we got some entertaining exchanges between Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, where Joe Rogan just said, weight cutting is stupid. It should just (laughs) be gone. There should be no weight cutting. And in a perfect world, Phil, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome if we had no weight cutting and everyone just showed up and they fought. That's never, ever, ever going to happen. And Daniel Cormier just disagreed. He was like, you know, you've got a long time to recover after doing this arduous torture to your body before an athletic competition at the highest level um so rogan said hey stupid and uh, and john anik backed up uh joe rogan but listen weight cutting is never going away um I, I don't see even any drastic changes to weight cutting unless we got just a i i don't even think one ufc related like weight cutting death would lead to major change i think it would have to be something like many many casualties that would force some kind of changing to this i just don't see us doing any kind of changes to to weight cutting as it's it's just drilled into all of these fighters i think the only thing that you can really do is uh do what boxing does and you have more weight classes and yeah and and that's gonna upset fans too of having all these weight classes but for the the health and safety that is the way to go of not having these gigantic uh 15 pound differences between weight classes and all of this was, you know, they were talking about uh, Macy Chason, who had returned to featherweight in her last fight. And actually, she had missed weight in the last fight, uh, but on weight here. And uh, they're, they're talking about the fact that, you know, what would happen if Amanda Nunez retires? There is no one else that is championship caliber at this weight. No disrespect to these two that we're calling. <laughs> let's be real here. I mean, it, this was just the biggest uh, just denouncement of this women's featherweight division was listen, like, are we honestly looking at a future champion in this cage? Not a chance. And so this, this title is basically here for Amanda Nunez. Well, it was funny because they started with, well, it's like, you know, the division's so thin. So uh, maybe Macy or Norma, you know, they're real close to a title shot. And then they start sort of going down the thought process of what that means. And that's how they get to, you know, you know the, the guy, state of the is like, Well, originally this title was made for Cyborg. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this is hey, just amazing. Hey, Gina, amazing. Gina was in the crowd. Maybe they'll bring her back. She could use the work. Gosh. <laughs> yes. Gina Carano was there at, at the building. There's not a whole lot to talk about this. Like Macy Chason would take her down and then just clinched against the fence. The crowd was restless here. Um, won the first two rounds. And then in the third, uh, Dumont was at least able to, to land some strikes here. Um, connected with an overhand right. And Chason just kept going back to, you know, clinch work here. So Chason wins by split decision, 30-27, 29-28 for Dumont, 
and 30-27 for Chason. I, I didn't see how you gave the the third round to uh, Chason. I don't see a 30-27. Yeah, yeah. I did not. I did not understand. She just all she did was hold her on the cage, and Dumont, Dumont landed, was like, landed. Good good, yeah, like, it, I, she hurt her. It was so that was good. not a close round. So yeah, very I weird. Did not see, and two judges had it 30-27 for Chason. Bad fight, and Chason acknowledged afterwards she wanted to prove that she can wrestle and grapple. But maybe I proved that too much in this one. <laughs> and she wants to compete at bantamweight and featherweight uh, because Joe Rogan and uh, Daniel Cormier want to eliminate the 145 pound <laughs> women's division. <laughs> so that was that was that. She didn't even call out the champion. She probably could get the title fight if she did. <laughs> They'll probably just give her the title at this point. <laughs> like you know what, Amanda's got to do this fight with Juliana Pena. She's busy at 135. You keep the title warm for her, okay? You can defend this. That's right, yeah. Uh, Brandon Royval and Matt Schnell. I was looking forward to this at Flyweight. It did not disappoint. Uh, Matt Schnell, they noted his mother had just passed away while he was doing his fight camp. Uh, so going into this one uh, uh, with that. Uh, and there's a left hand that lands for Schnell, dropping Royval. And then another shot he lands, and he gets on top of him. He rolls for a guillotine on Royval, but loses it. And then Schnell is like on all fours. His neck is pretty much just like, take it. And Royville did. He took the neck and got his own guillotine. And Schnell did the double tap to get out of this one and was submitted at 214 of the first round. So that is nine first round finishes uh, for Brandon Royville. And uh, yes, he is coming off of a, uh, of a split decision over Rogerio Bontarin in January. So two wins now for Royville. He's an entertaining flyweight. Yeah, very entertaining flyweight. He's got a very uh, dominant win over uh, Kai Kara France, who's kind of like the next guy in the wings for a title shot. So uh, he's definitely somebody who uh, could get his own title shot uh, in the future. And the roller coaster, that was an up. Next one was a down. Blagoy Ivanov and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. And Ivanov is, they stated had an undisclosed injury and Joe Rogan was trying to investigate this noting, well, he's got knee pads on and Delima uh, gets kicked low or sorry, delivered a kick low and got a, a hard warning from referee Mark, Mark Goddard, as he called it, stating that was a little bit reckless. And there were some right uppercuts to crack Ivanov um, into the second round. Ivanov is, Lands with a, a one-two combination. He's putting some other combinations together. And then a big left connects for him. And then he's uh, fighting for the underhooks. Delima tries to slow him with his jab. Uh, more left hands and clinch work by Ivanov. And, you know, Joe Rogan is talking about, hey, listen, this is kind of an Ivanov fight. Unless you're a fan of clinching, it's not that exciting to watch. <laughs> I mean, this is Joe Rogan saying, you know what? I got Spotify money. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Delima reverses him against the fence. A uh, few shots here from Ivanov, and then Delima uh, lifts and takes him down to end the fight. Uh, Ivanov wins by unanimous decision, 29 28. Um, I, I gave this to Ivanov too. I gave him rounds two and three, uh, and Delima the first, uh, but it seemed people were split on this one. How did you score it? I scored it the same way as you. And uh, it's funny that you say it's a down because this was probably the most exciting Blagoy Ivanov fight I've ever seen. Well, that that is that is something. I mean, the guy has an unbelievable life story. Um, th th this guy was was stabbed in a bar ten years ago 
it's a miracle he's alive, much less fighting. So it is quite the story uh, for Blagoy Ivanov. Um, but I, I didn't think this was the most entertaining uh, heavyweight fight. And then the uh, the early prelims, um, Andre Fialo knocked out Cameron Van Camp at 235 of the first round. Um, just dropped him with this beautiful left hook. Uh, very nice uh, knockout finish for Fialo. And he wants to fight uh, next month at UFC 275 in Singapore. And Aaron Bronstetter notes that he met with Dana White and Sean Shelby, and it looks like he's going to end up on that card uh, in Singapore. So there you go. Tracy Cortez defeated Melissa Gatto by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. CJ Vergara defeated Claydson Rodriguez, 29-28 twice, and then one scorecard for Rodriguez. Ariani Carnalosi versus Lupi Godinez ended with uh, Godinez winning by unanimous decision. And then your opener was Journey Newsom over Fernie Garcia by unanimous decision on scores of 30-27 twice and 29-28. Any takeaways from the early prelims, Phil? Um, Just a really strong uh, performance by Tracy Cortez uh, out grappling Melissa Gatto. This was in front of a hometown Arizona crowd who was very hot for her. And she delivered in what was a pretty, you know, Dominant grappling performance. And then another uh, very strong performance by uh, Lupi Godinez. Uh, really looked uh, excellent in this fight and uh, someone to keep an eye on. And the performance of the night bonuses went to Michael Chandler and Brandon Royville. Fight of the night. Do you want to make a guess? It wasn't a Sparzan nominee. <laughs> um, I guess the main event. But I mean, you can't give them a a, a bonus, right? That's right. I would think that that would have been fight of the night, but they did not get the bonus. So it went to Brandon Royville, who gets his second bonus, and Matt Schnell. So okay. definitely Oliveira lost lost out here because I think he would have got possibly two bonuses here. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. It w- it was another exciting performance from you know one of the kings of post fight bonuses. So at the end of all of this, the, the the roller coaster that was UFC 274 was this a give me a letter grade for this show because it's wild. You could go in so many. There was some great stuff on this show. Again, uh, a tremendous main event, a knockout of the year. But man, there were also some bad fights on this show too. Yeah, from the I, B minus C plus type thing. I mean, it's you know the main event was great, and, and of course the Chandler knockout was great. Uh, but I, I, it's, it's going to be a long time to get that, that, uh, straw weight fight that tastes out of my mouth. I think. Could you imagine that fight without Twitter? <laughs> that was just, that was just made for, to be a communal experience. You couldn't just watch that on your own. Yeah. I couldn't imagine it without discord. That, that, that's my Twitter. That's you're right. You're right. You're right. How, how was, how did discord re- re- respond to that fight? Did anyone did anyone defend it? Did Brandon enjoy it? I mean, I the I think I think the Discord crowd was certainly entertained, um, but it was us, it was mostly from their own uh, creation. I, I want to hear who 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 defends the fight. I mean, someone will be out there and will use like the human chess uh, analogy. <laughs> we'll see. So, uh, just looking at the the UFC calendar here. So next weekend they've got a fight night at the the beautiful Apex with uh, Jan Blahovic. Returning after losing the light heavyweight title against Alexander Rakic. The following weekend, it's Holly Holm taking on Ketlin Vieira. 
Uh, Alexander Volkov will take on Jarzinho Rosenstruck on June the 4th. And then the next pay-per-view is UFC 275. Uh, that show will be hosted by Phil Chertok and Eric Marcotte from Singapore. We're not sending them to Singapore, but the event is taking place from Singapore. Uh, but we'll be in the same time slot for North American viewers uh, with Glover Teixeira defending the light heavyweight title against Yuri Prohaska and Valentina Shevchenko. Phil Chertok's fighter of the decade, defending the women's flyweight title against Talia Santos. And to many people, maybe the uh, the main event, the real main event, Zhang Wei Li and Joanna Yanjacek in their rematch of one of the best fights in UFC history uh, that took place in early 2020, right before the pandemic. And Joanna has not fought since that fight. Uh, Zhang Wei Li, in the, in the meantime, um, has competed um, actually multiple times with the two fights with Rose Namajunas. Yeah, Joanna was, uh, you know, trying to get a new contract and it sounds like that has happened. So she's getting paid. And uh, yeah, one of the most exciting fights of all time uh, gets a rematch that uh, I think uh, everybody's going to be very excited for. And that main event is is very exciting as well. Yuri Prokaska has looked incredible, a very exciting fighter. So that main event, I think, uh, as it draws closer, will generate uh, a fair bit of interest and our last note here from the uh, from the aaron bronstetter thread from dana white he says he would still love to see islam makachev versus benil dariush but after tonight he wouldn't mind doing Oliveira versus makachev oh either. really really so I'm, I'm a little surprised by that, that yeah makachev would be um because i could really after tonight's show i thought man makachev really could have been knocked down a peg here uh, for for that lightweight championship, mm-hmm. but obviously he is a name that is still in play for that Oliveira fight, which uh, we'll see how how everything turns out here. But that's a possibility too for the lightweight championship and a very tough fight for Charles Oliveira. I mean, a very tough fight for anyone, but uh, we've seen that he's uh, you know a very resilient champion, and uh, you'd be a fool to count him out. All right, well, everybody, we're gonna wrap up our UFC 274 post show. Just a couple minutes after 2 a.m. I could go another hour here chatting with you, Phil. I could go another 400 rounds of uh, Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza. We could have done a whole live watch along if we had been uh, thinking ahead of time. Next time, when they they do the third one, we'll, we'll make sure we do a live event for all the post fans. All right. Thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in live or downloading the show afterward. Uh, you can go up to postwrestling.com. Go read Eric Marcotte's extensive review. I can't ra- wait to read all of his analysis of Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza, the, uh, the plan nine of MMA <laughs> fights uh, for, for those uh, film buffs out there. Uh, so that's it. Next UFC post show will be Eric and Phil on Saturday, June the 11th. So Circle your calendar. We're always live after each UFC pay-per-view. And go check out the Discord. How can they how can they jump into the fun that is the Discord on a on a nightly basis? It's it's always kicking in the Discord. Yes. Uh yeah, we're always popping off in the Discord, as the youths say. Uh yeah, you can go to postwrestling.com slash discord. Uh we've got uh live fight predictions on uh UFC. And, uh, and other MMA events. Uh, we also have wrestling predictions. We've got Formula One golf uh, predictions, people sharing their world scores, uh, Doctor Strange movie reviews, constant debate about who's the best Spider-Man. It's, it's just your one-stop shop for all uh, 
pop culture social uh, interactions. All right. Fantastic stuff. You know, I will let people in. One of my favorite things is when Eric will send his reports in, he always puts like a little line with like just like his own message to me about the show. <laughs> he had his all timer on Friday uh, after Bellator 280. <laughs> after that main event. France may choose to reban MMA in the country. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I laughed. I laughed out loud when I, when I read that. I always enjoy yeah. his, uh, his, his like one-liner on, on, on the show as well. Oh. Um, so there you go. That's going to wrap it up, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the UFC 274 Post Show, and we will speak with you when, when there's a trilogy to talk about between Rose Namajunas and Carlos Sparza. Book it, Dana. Good night. <laughs>